There we go. All right, good evening again. <laughs> so we are in, surprise, surprise, we're in Isaiah chapter 23 tonight. You know, with everything going on recently, I've, uh, you know, we've seen all kinds of uh, stuff on TV and on our phones, you know, about gas prices and, um, you know, the gas prices are high because of the Ukraine. There's a saltine shortage because of the Ukraine. Yeah, saltine crackers. I discovered this when I went to go get some saltines. Anyway, I think we can all agree, like, there's more going on than what we see, right? There's, there's more behind, uh, not trying to get into all kinds of conspiracy theories, but when world powers are moving, there's things going on in the background that we don't know about. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that kind of thing tonight. Um, we are in, uh, like I said, we're in chapter 23, and this is the last oracle or the last of the burdens that remember Isaiah he's for the last what 10 chapters or so it's just been one heavy message after another about the neighboring nations now he's not done with heavy messages but he's at least going to take a break from it next week it'll be a little bit lighter Um, uh, there's at least some light at the end of the tunnel Um, a little bit of good news so I'm looking forward to that Uh, but uh, before we get into the this week's message, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us understand it. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Thank you for preserving your word for us. um, There's so many things that we can see in your word that match up with even secular history, and it it just makes it even more sure to us. But Lord, we, we know that you said if we lack understanding or lack wisdom to ask, and you would give it. So we're asking, Lord, tonight that you would help us understand your word, uh, the message, the burden that you gave Isaiah, we know was for the people of his time, but also for us, and uh, help us to glean from it what we're supposed to. And we pray for your blessing on the message, on your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the fall of Tyre, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Isaiah 23, verse 1, it says, The oracle concerning Tyre. Um, just real quick, Tyre, is this was a city um, in uh, what would now be modern-day Lebanon. Okay, So it was north of Jerusalem. Uh, it was on the coast. It was a coastal city. And at the time, it was the capital of the Phoenician Empire. Phoenicians are really interesting uh, people group. You know, they were the... the the first real great sailors of that part of the world, anyway. Uh, uh, they were famous for their, their ships. You know, they, they figured out how to go across the ocean, or go across the Mediterranean, anyway, before anybody else did. Uh, and they were, because of that, they kind of became the center of world trade, or at least that part of the world. They were kind of like, um, uh, like New York City is for us. You know, that was... The, the, the center of the economy and uh, trade and all of that stuff. Uh, so he's talking about that place. He says, uh, the oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish. 
So there's another interesting name, right? Uh, Tarshish, there's a couple different theories about this place, because it's not as clear. We know where Tyre was, or roughly. Um, but Tarshish uh, was also known for having great sailors. They came from somewhere over there, is what everyone in the Middle East thought. You know? um, they were known for trading in like exotic things. Uh, specifically, they had m- more uh, forged weapons and metals and stuff. Uh, and so Tarshish, that word just means uh, melters of metal or melters of tin. Uh, so that's what ha- how they viewed these people. The, you know, they have some secrets we don't have. And so the theory is, you know, where, where were they from? Uh, some people say Spain, because Spain had uh, tin mines. Um, others say uh, Britain. Uh, Britain, actually the name of Britain, it literally is land of tin. That's what that name means. Um, I th- I'm more inclined to believe it, it was them because remember when Jonah was running from the Lord, right? He tried to go to Tarshish. Spain is not that far. Britain was a little further. They, they would have viewed this as the end of the world, right? It's, it's as far away as we can conceivably go because beyond them is the ocean, the Atlantic, and there's nothing. Right? So they viewed Tarshish as the end of the world. So, uh, so it, verse 1 again. Oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish. So coming from over there. For Tyre is destroyed without house or harbor. It is reported to them from the land of Cyprus. So basically these si- ships from Tarshish, as they're heading to Tyre, uh, the people in Cyprus are going to tell them about, hey, they've been destroyed, you don't want to go there. Verse 2, it says, Be silent, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, your messengers cross the sea. Sidon is, uh, that was basically the other great city of the Phoenicians. Uh, It was Tyre and Sidon were the two big cities. And as a matter of fact, um, most of the time in the Bible, the Phoenician people are referred to as... uh, Sidonians, right? So they, they viewed it as, uh, you know, synonymous with those people. So this other city, the other great city of the Phoenicians, um, are just silent based on what they're seeing. Uh, verse 3, and uh, so your messengers across the sea and were on many waters, the grain of the Nile, the harvest of the river was her revenue, and she was the market of nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea speaks, the stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither travailed nor given birth. I have neither brought up young men nor reared virgins. So this, that sentence doesn't roll off the tongue real well in English. But uh, in the original language, it's basically saying, uh, you know, we didn't, they were so devastated that they didn't even fulfill their purpose, right? They, uh, they never... It's like a, a family that never had any kids or, and was just wiped out. Uh, verse 5, it says, When the report reaches Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report of Tyre. Pass over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your jubilant city whose origin is from antiquity? See, the people of Tyre were really proud of the fact that they were one of the oldest cities, and they loved to, they thought that made them pretty special, Uh, whose origin is from antiquity, whose feet used to carry her to colonize distant places. 
Who has planned this against Tyre, the, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? So the people that trade there, were, they were the honored people. They were like the 1%, right? This is where all the movers and shakers of the world would, uh, would meet with each other. Verse 9, it says, The Lord of hosts has planned it to defile the pride of all beauty, to despise all the honored of the earth. Again, this is kind of a, a weird wording the way it's, is in the original language, but there's a couple possibilities what he's talking about here. One of the things that the people of Tyre bra- like to brag about, because they were, they were pretty proud of how old their city was, uh, they had this uh, temple to Hercules, and they claimed it was the oldest in the world. Now remember, we, uh, we mentioned this some time ago when we were talking about Babylon, Hercules uh, was just the Greek name for another person in the Bible. Do you remember who that was? Uh, it was Nimrod. We always laugh when we, you know, that, that sounds like an insult. But anyway, Nimrod uh, is the guy that basically started Babylon. He's the guy who founded that city. And with it, he also basically created the, you know, the place of the first pagan worship, a place where idolatry really got its feet under it. So the, the, the theory is maybe God was going to destroy this place because of this temple to Hercules. Uh, I think more likely, you know, it says the Lord of hosts has planned it to defile the pride of all beauty, to despise all the honored of the earth. I think they were just people that were really proud of themselves, really full of themselves, kind of like like I mentioned earlier, they're kind of like New York City. New Yorkers are pretty proud of just being from New York. You know, they, they somehow think that's uh, like a badge of honor or something. And that's, that's how the people of Tyre apparently were. The reason I bring that up is because the Bible is really clear about one thing. You know, we may not be positive what motivated God here, but we, we do know that he is opposed to the proud. 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5, Peter's actually quoting a verse from the Old Testament here, but he says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You know, humility is not uh, having low self-esteem. I used to think that's what it was. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? It's putting other people ahead of yourself, not thinking, oh, I'm terrible and I'm useless and all that kind of stuff. But he says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. I always wondered why that verse followed this description of humility and pride. What does the one have to do with the other? But I think most of the dumb things that we do come from a place of, of fear uh, and anxiety that's rooted 
in pride. If you're afraid to try new things because you might not be good at it, that's pride. You may not think of it that way, right? But I, I'm not willing to dance because people might laugh at me, right? So I'm apparently, I think I'm better than everybody else and shouldn't have to, you know, go through that. I, you know, I remember talking with my sons about this, you know, when they're afraid to take the last shot because they might miss. And I'm like, well, that's not only a confidence issue, but a pride issue. Like, you're not allowed to miss because everyone else is, right? I know that's kind of off topic, but I, I just, it's one of those things that I think we, we fail to really understand the way the Lord intends it. Uh, you know, the root of all worry and anxiety I think, lies in the belief that what happens is ultimately in our hands, right? That if you think what happens is your responsibility and yours alone, that's pride. The proud person feels like they're the person who makes things happen, right? But the truth is that none of us, we can't add another inch to our height or another hour to our life by worrying about it. And what happens ultimately is in the hands of God. Now you have your part to play, but uh, there is only one general manager of the universe and you ain't it. If you find yourself uh, fighting to stay on top, you may find yourself fighting with God. Because God is opposed to the proud. So Isaiah says that God plans to defile the pride of all beauty, to despise all the honored of the earth. In other words, God is just not impressed with what we're impressed by. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble. Paul's addressing these early church fathers, right? He says, don't get so full of yourselves. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And he goes on to say, that's, that's so none of us can really claim the credit for what God does. Right? Uh, what, when people's hearts and minds and lives are changed in this church. It's definitely not because of Pastor Chris and I's amazing uh, planning. If you know, we both have different versions of ADHD. There's very little planning, you know, involved. It's because God has worked through the foolish things, you know. Anyway, we'll go back to Isaiah uh, 23, verse 10. It says, uh, Overflow your lands like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. Uh, there is no more restraint. He has stretched his hand out over the sea. He has made the kingdoms tremble. The Lord has given a command concerning Canaan to demolish its strongholds. He has said, you shall exult no more, O crushed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, pass over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, These are, that's another name for 
the Babylonians, right? That's um, the wise men in, in the New Testament. When they come to see Jesus, they are Chaldeans, right? They're from this place that he's referring to. Uh, Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this is the people which was not. Assyria appointed it for desert creatures. They erected their siege towers, they stripped its palaces, they made it a ruin. So, remember when Isaiah is writing this stuff, the Assyrians are the big bad, uh, the big bad guy, right? They're the the scary uh, military at the time. But over the last few chapters, Isaiah has been talking about Babylon. Before Babylon is even really a world power, he's talking about how they're going to rise up and also how they're going to be taken down. And so he says, basically, the Assyrians viewed Babylon as a place for desert creatures, right? It's just, they viewed Babylon as a bunch of country bumpkins. They weren't a threat yet. And so Isaiah is... uh, he says, you know, there's, there's going to be more to this place in Babylon. Verse 14, he says, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is destroyed. So he can, he's referring to something that's going to happen in the future. It's the Babylonians who are going to destroy it. Verse 15, he says, Now in that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Okay, so Tyre, after they are defeated down the road, the guy who defeats them uh, puts an embargo on them. Basically, nobody is supposed to trade with Tyre for 70 years. Uh, that guy is a, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Incidentally, he reigns for 70 years, I believe. But he, he says nobody is, you know, he puts sanctions on Tyre. It's like we just put some sanctions on somebody. After those sanctions are lifted, uh, Tyre, it says, you know, they begin to sing the song of the harlot again, right? They, they rebuild, they start, they start to uh, do what they were doing before. Uh, Verse 16, he says, Take your harp. Walk about the city, O forgotten harlot. Pluck the strings skillfully. Sing many songs that you may be remembered. It will come about at the end of 70 years that the Lord will visit Tyre. Then she will go back to her harlot's wages and will play the harlot with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Her gain and her harlot's wages will be set apart to the Lord. It will not be stored up or hoarded, but her gain will become sufficient food and choice attire for those who dwell in the presence of the Lord. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. In Psalm 45, it describes uh, some things that are going to happen as the kingdom is uh, set up here on earth. And around verse 11 or 12, it says that Tyre comes and lays its treasure at the Lord's feet. So everything that they, all the wealth that they built, they're going to ultimately hand it over to him because it's all his. Everything you're working so hard for uh, is going to end up in the hands of someone else someday. That's why I plan to have nothing. 
That's the one plan I'm, I'm accomplishing pretty well. I figure if you die with like a high credit card balance and no money in the bank, you win. Right? Maybe owing the government a bunch of money too. That's even better. <laughs> I want to take you to a couple spots that... Because this chapter is strange, right? It's Tyre hasn't really been mentioned at all, and now all of a sudden they're a big deal. Um, we're going to go to Ezekiel 26. This is another prophet who wrote a um, hundred and some years, oh, oh, yeah, 150 years or so after Isaiah. But he has some things to say about Tyre. So Ezekiel 26, verse 1. It says, now in the eleventh year, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gateway of the peoples is broken, it is open to me, I shall be filled now that she is laid waste. So Jerusalem uh, was attacked by the Babylonians. And Tyre basically says, oh, we're going to profit from this because that's one less major city. It's one less trading center. Uh, and they kind of got a kick out of Jerusalem falling to the Babylonians. Verse 3, it says, therefore, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. She will be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she will become spoil for the nations. So he says, somebody's going to, I'm going to send many nations against you. They're going to wipe you, they're going to obliterate you to where there's nothing there except a place to spread your nets out. Also, verse 6, her daughters who are on the mainland will be slain. Remember that. Uh, will be slain by the sword, and they will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyre from the north. Who? Nebuchadnezzar. There's that guy. I'm going to bring up upon Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, chariots, cavalry and great army he will slay your daughters on the mainland with the sword and he will make siege walls against you cast up a ramp against you and raise up large shields against you the blow of his battering rams he will direct against your walls and with his axes he will break down your towers because of the multitude of his horses the dust raised by them will cover you your walls will shake at the noise of cavalry and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that is breached. With the hoofs of his horses, he will trample all your streets. Now notice it's always, he will direct you. He will do this. He will trample all your streets. He will slay your people with the sword. And your strong pillars will come down to the ground. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we know from history, when he... Uh, besieged Tyre. And he surrounded this city for 13 years. 13 years he tried to starve them out. And they were pretty tough. I mean, that, that's quite a while to, to hold out. But what he didn't know 
is that during this, this siege, that the people of Tyre had snuck out the back door, basically. They were smuggling people and supplies out to a little island half a mile offshore, out the back gate. Uh, and they, there they reestablished Tyre. They basically built another city behind the city. That's why they weren't starving to death, is they were still sneaking their boats out in the middle of the night and still getting supplies and doing their thing. I think that's kind of funny. But uh, when Nebuchadnezzar finally figures it out, he is ticked, and he tears down the, the city on the mainland and kills anybody that's still left there. And then he left, because there's nothing he could do. He, he didn't have a navy. Remember, these are the only people that really know how to sail, right? They're half a mile out in the water. There's nothing he can do. But he does put this, he lets it be known to all the world, like, you know, do not trade with Tyre for 70 years. Now it switches from he to the pronoun changes to a plural one, to they. Verse 12, also they will make a spoil of your riches and a prey of your merchandise. Break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses and throw your stones and your timbers and your debris into the water. Um, so there's more people involved than just Nebuchadnezzar. Because remember, the Lord said, I'm going to send many nations against you. So about 250 years after Nebuchadnezzar, uh, an even more powerful leader, uh, a great leader from Macedonia comes and he wants to basically draft Tyre's uh, navy into his empire, right? He doesn't have a navy. He wants one because he's going to go down and attack Egypt and boats would really make things easier. Uh, this guy's name is Alexander. Alexander the pretty good. I don't think, you know, when I've read uh, the accounts, people talk about what a great leader he was. He was a crazy person, and it just worked out for him most of the time. Because uh, he, he would actually lead the, the charge himself. A great leader doesn't do that. That's stupid. But he, you know, survived it for a while anyway. So one of the things that Alexander was known for is uh, as he would conquer an area, he would actually treat the people pretty well, and he would um, basically draft a bunch of the people from the area into his army, make them conscripts. They would become part of his army. And he had so many people from so many nations that it was becoming a problem to communicate with all of his troops because they spoke different languages. So he and, and uh, some of his generals, basically they came up with um, a simplified language that would make communication very clear and very easy. And they created Koine Greek, which is the language that most of your New Testament is written in. It's the language that evangelized the world. It's the language that uh, I think Jesus wanted to be in place uh, when the New Testament was written. That's just my theory. But anyway, so he had uh, 
many nations at his disposal, right? And so he, he, uh, the people of Tyre, they don't want to make the deal with him. They don't want to become part of his army. And he gets ticked. And so he brings all sorts of troops in. And they, remember all the debris that Nebuchadnezzar left? He just tore the place down and left it. Well, Alexander's troops cast all this debris into the water. And it takes them, I think, like seven months, but they built a causeway. They built like a peninsula out to this island. He was like, I don't have boats. I will build land and come get your boats. And he did. He, got, he didn't build it all the way there. He built it far enough that his catapults could barrage the place. And eventually they were like, okay, all right, you got us. Uh, and uh, he, he takes the ships and basically demolishes the city because he's, he's pretty aggravated that he had to slow down his march uh, of, you know, to conquer the world uh, and deal with this island. Incidentally, uh, it's around this time that a guy named Plato writes a, uh, a cool little story about a sophisticated culture that sinks into the sea, never to be seen again. Just saying. Atlantis. Yeah, Atlantis, yeah. That's, I, I didn't, probably not the same thing, but I think it's interesting. So that island, uh, it, you know, he basically wiped it up. There were still a few people living there, um, and they kind of rebuilt again. And then uh, later it was conquered by the Muslims. And then during the Crusades, the Crusaders conquered it, and, you know, then they lived there uh, it was under their rule for 100 years or so. Then the Muslims came in again, and, and finally they just, everybody was tired of fighting over this rock. They destroyed it completely. And now we don't really know for sure where the city of Tyre was. We have a pretty good idea. We know where the rock is, but we don't know where the original city was. It eventually was just wiped off the planet. Uh, there is a city of Tyre today. It's not that one. It's a new one. Anyway, verse 13, it says, So I will silence the sound of your songs. You notice he keeps mentioning songs and music. The sound of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You will be a place for the spreading of nets. You will be built no more, for I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the Lord God. So why does the destruction of this uh, port city, 100 miles from Jerusalem, matter? What does it have to do with anything? Because there's something at work uh, behind the scenes. Wherever wealth is leveraged for power, and wherever power is wielded, things are moving behind the scenes. So we're going to skip forward a couple chapters in Ezekiel. to Ezekiel 28. Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are a man and not a God, although you make your heart like the heart of God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. That's a weird way to describe this guy, right? This person that 
the Lord is uh, not thrilled with. He says, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired riches for yourself and have acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Like I said, weird way to describe this leader. And we skip forward a few verses. Verse 11, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre. Now remember, Tyre is a city. It's not a kingdom. It's just one city in a, another country. But he calls this, this leader the king of Tyre. Take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, was there anybody alive during Ezekiel's time who was in the garden? No human, right? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond. The barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. So who's the real king of Tyre? Who is it that is still influencing things who was also in the garden? This is the devil, right? This is Satan. Wherever deals are being made, wherever power is being wielded, evil is either involved or very interested. Evil is afoot. The Bible says that where there are many words... Sin is inevitable. Sin abounds. Have you ever toured a, a Capitol building? Like the national, one of the buildings in Washington, or even like our state Capitol building? They're creepy. I think. Any, anytime I've been there, like I'm fascinated, but I have a weird, they make my skin crawl. Because it just, this, this, does, this is not what most of the world feels like. I think you can sense the evil lurking there. As Pastor Chris uh, likes to say, that, you know, the devil didn't pull your jumper cable or your, uh, pull the cable off your battery to keep you from church. He's busy with bigger things, right? That's where he's at. That's where he, he and his demons are. That's what they're involved with because it, uh, it affects so many people. Verse 14, he says, You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. From the beginning, Satan was a, a wheeler dealer, right? 
He, he was already negotiating with Eve in the garden, whispering words that people wanted to hear. Tradition says that, uh, and I don't know, you know, we can't for sure say this, but the, the Hebrew people believe this, and, and there's some scripture that could back it up, but tradition says that uh, Lucifer, or, or the devil, was, uh, that he basically was in charge of leading worship in heaven, you know, before he fell. Uh, and part of his very makeup was music, right? That's part of who he is. And as he led peop- the, the angels in worship of the Lord, he, he got a little high on his own supply, and he felt like, I am deserving of worship also. I will be like the Most High. The Lord says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. What was it he said he was going to do with Tyre? He said, I'm going to destroy the pride of all beauty. One day, all those deals, all that pride uh, is going to be laid bare for the world to see. What he says here, verse 18, he says, By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. In the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. All right. So what's the takeaway from all this? Um, I think there's a couple things we can get from this, uh, this section. It's a little weird, right? Like, why are we talking about this city that do- it doesn't even exist? anymore. One, I can't find a single place in all of Scripture where God applauds materialism. It's not in there. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it's really, really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Materialism is a, is a problem. And different groups uh, and thought leaders will try to convince you of, that Jesus is not who he is in the, in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is not, I know this will sting some of you, Jesus is not a capitalist. He says, if you have more than you need, it's because I provided it for you so that you could see some, meet someone else's need. That's why you have more, not because I love you more, not because you are better. Jesus wouldn't vote Republican or Democrat. There's not a political system on earth that matches up completely with his uh, teachings. That's a message for another day, but... Uh, that craving that you have for uh, more stuff, for new stuff, uh, for new and more and better stuff, uh, for admiration from other people, uh, for respect, remember the source of it. First uh, John 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, And pride in possessions 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those three things that he says there are what drive most of our decisions. Secondly, uh, evil is at work in the world. It's especially at work in the halls of power. Um, our politicians are not just dumb. They're more than likely demonically influenced. Um, and we need to pray for them. Pray that they have uh, clear judgment and discernment because I can about guarantee that it is being clouded by, by evil. So as we shake our heads at what uh, world leaders are up to, uh, we can get really discouraged, you know, and wonder why, why they do what they do and, and get even more impatient for the Lord's return. So I'm just going to read one more passage, and we'll close with this. So, 2 Peter 3, verse 14. He says, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Frustrating as it is, as long as he hasn't returned, that means somebody else is still going to believe. And I wish he would hurry, but anyway. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and pray, and, and we'll get you out of here. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to study your word again. God, we, uh, our leaders need, uh, need prayer, uh, need your your hand upon them. Uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would help our leaders have clear vision and make decisions that are not based on pride or materials, materialism or any of the things that come from the world, but that they would uh, make decisions that accomplish your will. And Lord, in our own lives, we just pray that uh, we can lay aside our pride, think less often of our own desires and put people ahead of ourselves. And we pray above all these things that uh, your will would be done and that you would come and come quickly. All God's people said, amen. All right, ready? Break.